Welcome to Inside Out with your host, Beth Green. This is James Maynard, your co-host, along with a special co-host for today's show, The Guru. You've never met him before, but as you may know from our experience with Madame Mazurka, Beth channels different characters at different times, and today that character is The Guru. Today's topic, fires, floods, tornadoes, drought. Let's ask a real climate scientist about climate change and what we can do about it. Ignorance is not bliss when our world is being turned upside down by climate change. So now what's our response? Are we living in panic, lost in denial, or feeling too overwhelmed to think about it? For myself, I hear a lot about disasters coming up. I feel a lot of panic or anxiety, and then I tune it out, try to pretend that everything's going to be just fine somehow. Well, climate change is not going away. So let's get educated and face it together. Our guest, Dr. Grant Dean, is a climate scientist who's also the director of the hydraulic lab at the University of California, San Diego. So this is our opportunity to learn about a topic that is changing our world and our future. So now let's hear from your host, Beth Green, from the Inside Out. Well, hi, everybody. Uh, Thanks for joining us. I'm really looking forward to this show. Uh, I'd like to hear from uh, Dr. Dean. I'm going to call him Grant. Uh, It's kind of funny uh, because usually when I'm uh, doing a show, I really know something about the topic that we're talking about. Uh, But this time, uh, I mean, I know something about climate change because all I have to do is look out the window, right? But I'm not a climate scientist. So I get to be really dumb and ask lots of questions and just uh, not know anything about the topic. So that's going to be kind of fun. Um, And the other thing, of course, is that we're bringing on the guru. And I really don't know how the guru is going to behave on this show. He's kind of an elusive character. Uh, when he comes, sometimes he's funny. Sometimes he's very serious and elevated. And uh, he's like a character that I channel, but I have no control whatsoever about the guru. And uh, he's never been on the show before. In fact, he rarely shows up in my life. So we'll see what happens there. But, you know, before... Uh, we get into any of that. Um, so before we get into getting, oh, I'm sorry. Can I say that again? Before we get into any of that, I just feel like I have to say something about what's going on in our country today, which is since we're doing this on Tuesday, it's government shutdown day. And James, when you were sharing about wanting to go away and disappear or either being panicked or I can really identify with that in terms of the economy, the government, like I want to pretend nothing is going on, that we're not in this stalemate, and then other moments I wake up having an anxiety fit. <laughs> so I have the same reaction to what's going on with our government as I think many of us do to climate change. It just feels kind of overwhelming. And you know, when I ask myself how I feel about it, I don't feel neutral. I don't feel like I'm in my spiritual uh, mode at all. I feel really angry. And to be honest, I'm angry at the Republicans uh, because whether you like the Affordable Health Care Act or not, the fact is that it was voted in. They haven't been able to vote it out. And it just kind of annoys me that they feel like they can play Russian roulette with all these people's lives because they can't pass their own agenda through the normal means. So I have a reaction to that. Now, some of my listeners may feel just the opposite. And well, you may feel that way and that's okay. 
but I'm going to tell you how I feel. So I'm sitting here uh, anxious, worried about the women and children who are going to be deprived of nutrition because of the government shutdown and just wishing somebody would come to their sense and saying, could we just please keep this government going uh, while you guys come to a mature adaptation to the realities of life. And I have another disclosure to make, which is I have been without health care. Um, in fact, one of the happiest days of my life was when I was 65 and I could get Medicare because I could not. I'm one of those people who could not get health care. I had my own business. I was self-employed. I had pre-existing conditions like everybody does. I mean, you know, if you have osteoporosis or if you have skin cancer or if you have anything, like they say, oh, you have pre-existing illness. You can't get uh, health care. And um, I have lived in terror at times of not having health care. So I love the fact that we're really trying to be responsible and care for one another. I'm not going to say that this bill is perfect, but to me, it feels much better for us to get together and try to figure out how to make it work rather than to start from scratch and say, we don't need this. Uh, because honestly, I think it's just common sense that we do need this. We don't need people going to emergency rooms in order to get primary health care. This is my opinion. I'm spouting today. I'm spouting my opinion because I just, that's what I feel. Um, and I feel it's really important to be honest that even when we get into these ideological arguments, which we often do, we still have a problem which is people need health care and don't have it. It wasn't just towards my 60s that I didn't have health care. I didn't have health care when I was a young woman, and I didn't have a job. And I was sick, and I needed health care also. So, of course, I'm speaking from a perspective, and I understand that there's a perspective of the business owner, and there's a perspective of the health industry. But let's hear all these voices, and let's take a more... I consider enlightened attitude of realizing that it's not economical for us to not have health care. It's not humane for us not to have health care. And something needs to be done. We can't bury our heads in the sand the way we did for so many years. Every time we try to have some kind of health care law, it's like, no, 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 no. So there you have it. You have my opinion on something, um, which you didn't ask for. But there it is. And so um, I am. It's just a free hoping. country. It is <laughs> somewhat. <laughs> and um, I would like to really invite us all to think about the whole issue, not just from the perspective of me, me and me, of the needs of all of us, of taking care of our people's health so that they don't get communicable diseases that get communicated to other people that we're not. Uh, shoving people into emergency rooms, that we're not having children or old people with no coverage. And let's be thinking in terms of what can we do instead of just being obstructionist about what we're already doing. So that's it. I've had my say. So I'm going to... <laughs> Those of you who want to hang up probably already have. So now I am going to introduce my co-host, the Guru, and... Gosh, I have no idea what's going to happen next. Okay. Guru, are you here? Where else would I be, Beth? Okay. 
Very good. Um, I'm glad you're here. And what do you think your role is going to be on our show today? Well, I think that I'm going to be more elevated in consciousness than you are. And in fact, more elevated in consciousness than your listeners. And so I would like to give your program a little bit of a boost in the consciousness department. Well, (laughs) (laughs) thank you so much for sharing that. Uh, I will definitely keep that in mind. Uh, So are you just going to chime in when you feel like it? Well, that is the idea, unless somebody asks me a direct question. Okay, Guru, thank you for joining me. And now, with no further ado, I would like to introduce our lovely guest, Dr. Grant Dean, who is both a scientist and a human being. (laughs) Grant, are you with us? I am. Hello, Beth. It's wonderful to be here with you. (laughs) Thank you, Grant. It's wonderful to be here with you, too. So I think the first question that our our people would like to ask, no, Beth, that is not the correct first question. Did you hear that? (laughs) Did the guru just tell me that I was going to ask? Well, let me tell you what the question was. I was going to say, what exactly is a climate scientist? That I've just been told that that isn't the right question. So let me ask, if I may, the guru, what is the correct first question? The first question. Correct question is what makes Dr. Dean think that he is a climate scientist? Ooh. Go ahead, Grant. Answer that one. Oh, that's such a great question. Um, <laughs> th- th- this is something that I, I ask myself actually constantly. <laughs> so, <laughs> what, what makes me think I know anything about, about climate science? Well, uh, perhaps the guru will accept this for an answer. Um, I may or may not be a climate scientist, uh, but I study climate and I talk to a lot of people who are climate scientists. I go all over the world and um, recently I've been uh, to Scotland and Hong Kong and uh, all over the United States of America going to conferences and talking to people who, like myself, uh, spend their time and their life and their career thinking about and studying um, uh, the planet and what forces on the planet create both weather and climate. Well, that's a very impressive. Oh, well, thank <laughs> well, you very much. <laughs> you've impressed the guru. I'm, I'm impressed by the. Well, what exactly, Guru, what exactly are you impressed about by, uh, uh, from the answer of our guest, uh, Grantine? Well, he's very humble. I'm always impressed by humility. Well, we haven't noticed any of yours, uh, Guru. Uh, <laughs> anyway, can we go on now with the show? Guru, do you have another question for our Grantine? Well, Yes. What is it that um, most of the climate scientists are saying? Mm, that's another great question. Um, okay, I'm retiring. I'm retiring. <laughs> We're replacing me as the host with the guru. <laughs> well, I mean, like most people, uh, climate scientists have an awful lot to say. So they're saying a lot about a lot of things, but... If I was going to try and distill a single message from 
the conversations that I've had and my own research and the research of other people, it would be uh, just the following things. Um, one, climate is changing, and climate has changed before, and it will change again. And so climate, is, climate change is a natural process. It's going on now as, as we speak. Uh, so climate, it is a general consensus that climate is, is changing, as it has done in the past. Um, but of, of greater concern is the general consensus that we as a species are doing things to impact that climate change, which is a completely separate issue. You know, there's climate change and then there's what's forcing climate change. And it's remarkable that there are enough of us and our activities um, are actually influencing something as huge as the global climate. But there's a, there's a general consensus that, that that's what's going on. Um, it, when you get into the really specifics, it's more difficult uh, to come up with a general consensus. That's one of our problems, I think, as a community. We find it very difficult to, to knuckle down and uh, agree on specifics. But there is, again, a general agreement that over the next 100 years, on average, the world is going to get warmer. You know, that's uh, such an interesting point because – uh, I, I just read recently a report from some, uh, I, I never re remember initials, but anyway, some worldwide panel that said, yes, 95% certainty that human beings are creating climate change. And so on a certain level, it really doesn't make any difference, all the little details, I mean, because if that is a reality, that's a reality. And the mm -hmm. other thing is for the rest of us humans, uh, all we have to do is look out the window or read the newspaper to notice that there is climate. I mean, what is the the debate. Uh, we are contributing to it. There is climate change. But what you said um, a minute ago really just hit me, Grant, and we are going to be going to commercial break in a moment. Uh, and when we come back, I'd like us to get into this and also invite people to uh, call in. There will be a phone number mentioned, which is um, how shocking it is to think that human beings can do something that powerful like changing the climate of the planet. Mm. Boy, that statement really hit me in the heart. So with that, we're going to go to commercial break and stay tuned and come back to ask Grant Dean questions. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Bring Beth into your world in person or via the Internet. Learn how by visiting her website, bethgreen.org. At the website, sign up for her newsletter to keep abreast of her latest activities, blogs, videos, and more. Just for signing up, you'll receive a free PDF copy of Living with Reality, her 688-page volume that helps us understand ourselves in relatable terms, as well as offers a proven program to heal and co-create a better world. But there's more. Learn about Beth's four other books, both fiction and nonfiction. Check out her gorgeous music, which is heartfelt and mystical. Become acquainted with Beth and James's programs for healing and training, and discover their community, the Stream Center for the New Spirituality, which welcomes you wherever you are in the world. All this and more can be found at Beth's website, www.bethgreen.org. Again, that's bethgreen.org. 
invite meaning and inspiration to your life. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. You're tuned in to Inside Out with Beth Green and co-host James Maynard. To reach us on the show, please call 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. If you'd rather send us an email, the address is beth at bethgreen.org. Now, back to Inside Out. Hi there. Welcome back to Inside Out and our guest, Dr. Grant Dean, who is a climate scientist that even the guru uh, has accepted. Um, so, Guru, do you have something to say or add uh, to that uh, comment that we were just talking about, about how staggering it is to think that human beings have the kind of power to, to actually change the planetary weather? I mean, how does that feel to you, Guru? Well, Beth, and uh, Grant, if I may call you Grant, you can call me Guru. Um, this is very important question that you're asking because uh, human beings are very arrogant and uh, believe they have the power to change everything. And in a way, they do. And uh, because we see this in a certain way, mostly human beings can uh, damage themselves and then their society, and we also see that human beings are capable of eradicating species and hurting other species, and then the human beings are capable of sending debris out into the universe and do other things uh, that uh, we consider to be reprehensible, but also to remember that human beings are very drop in the bucket, because even this earth is a very small part of not only the galaxy, but of the universe. So, yes, you guys can strut and um, be arrogant and uh, even destroy your own environment, but ultimately you cannot change the destiny of the universe. Okay, well, uh, that feels actually fairly comforting to me. How does that make you feel, Grant? Um, We have this power to change things. And I think we have a responsibility to understand what's going on and understand that power because I believe in the future people will propose deliberate action to change the planet. If, if, if the planet warms enough, people will start proposing and indeed already have uh, creating swarms of bubbles in the ocean to reflect light back into space or seeding the atmosphere with sulfate particles to reflect light back into space and, and cool things down. And we've already demonstrated that we can change things on a global scale. I, but before we get into that kind of deliberate act, I think we must truly understand the implications of our, of our actions. As the, the, the guru said, we're, we're very arrogant. We think we can change things and fix things. Um, I think we need to think very carefully before we start doing that kind of thing. That is a frightening, uh, while theoretically hopeful, option because we all know that, uh, for example, even in the medical field, let's say 
you are given an antibiotic for an illness and you say, okay, there's a very good chance that that antibiotic will help your body to fight that illness, but then the antibiotic gives you a yeast infection uh, or something else that happens. And so there are so many things that we don't know and that we don't understand that can happen from our own behavior. Um, now, um, what I'd like—I just was notified that there was a period where we could not hear Grant. So, but now it seems that he's fine again. So, if there was a period where you didn't hear him, um, our apologies to you. So, Grant, your so many things are coming to mind uh, based on what you're saying. But the first thing I would like to ask, just to get grounded, is how bad is it? Oh, again, that's that's such an interesting question, and and the answer is. If the theories are right, if the models are right, if the science is correct, and I believe we're getting better and better at understanding how the global ecosystem works, and I think we're getting better and better at making more accurate predictions, and if, if they are correct, the answer to that lies entirely in what we do. Are we going to burn all the oil? And if we burn all the oil, are we then going to start burning all the coal? And if we do, things may get very difficult on the planet. If we get more than two to three degrees Celsius rise in average global temperatures, uh, we'll see uh, a, a lot of our economic resources will have to be directed towards, and I'm talking about 100 years down the line now, not tomorrow. Mm -hmm. I want to be very clear. I'm talking about our children's children. I'm talking mm. about the legacy that we will leave for them. If, if we don't manage our addiction to energy, if we don't become more efficient in our businesses and our use of energy, then uh, we may create uh, an environment that sees uh, more extreme weather events, uh, that sees changes in rainfall. So Arab patterns of arable land will move um, we here in the United States will probably be fairly well off. We're, we're an affluent country and we have a great resource in, in our land. But there will be other countries that will be very, very hard-pressed. Um, they will be coping with uh, uh, droughts and floods and uh, health concerns. Disease vectors will shift. Um, their ecosystems will be hard-pressed. So if if in the next 20 to 50 years we can invent new ways, find new ways to live the lives that we want to live, um, but cut back on our use of fossil fuels, then I, I think we can weather, weather these changes, so to speak. <laughs> um, <laughs> but if, it's, if we keep on, uh, if we disregard the warnings and the signs and we just go for broke, um, then things may get very difficult. So you're saying that we, you believe that we actually have 20 to 50 years to solve this problem. I do, I do. I, I believe we're seeing changes now, and I believe we will continue to see changes, and I believe that we will deal with them, that we may have to spend more of our economy in terms of, of uh, insurance and cleaning up after disasters and, and managing our resources, but I think, I think we will deal with them. Um, I think the longer time goes, though, if we don't change our behaviors, they, these things will become more and more difficult to cope with. 
Um, well, are, are you saying by changing our behavior that you're talking about not increasing or literally cutting back? We, we need to cut back. We do. Um, well, <laughs> it depends on exactly what you mean by cut back. Because we're accelerating right now. It, 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 things are changing, and the rate at which they are changing is changing. Mm. Um, so, sorry, that's not a, in a very typical scientific fashion. I'm not giving you a very clear answer. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I believe, I believe we need to keep uh, CO2 emissions below around um, uh, 450 part per million to be specific. And I believe if we get up to 1,200 part per million, we will be in big trouble. Right now, we're at 395 or thereabouts, creeping up around 400. It, it varies throughout the course of the year because the whole planet breathes. The amount of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere waxes and wanes, depending on whether it's summer or winter, because the biosphere absorbs some of that gas and then re-releases it. So you, what I'm hearing from you is that we're not that far from a tipping point, but that we ain't seen nothing yet in terms of how bad it can get. Pretty much, yes, yes. And I, I think in the next, as I say, 30 to 50 years, we can make the changes uh, kept within limits that we can cope with. But if, but, if, but if we disregard the warnings with wanton abandon, mm -hmm. that we will create a problem, a problems that will become very difficult for us to cope with. Okay. Now, I'd just like to remind listeners that they can call in. James, would you like to repeat our number? Uh, sure. Uh, if you'd like to call in, the number to call is 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. Or if you'd like to email, you can email to beth at bethgreen.org. And by the way, I'd like to ask a real quick question. At the present rate, uh, how soon are we likely to hit the 450 level of parts per million of pollutants? Uh, that's a good question. And I don't have a good answer for you. Let's see. I'm looking up. I have a computer in front of me. Okay, good, and good. I, would, I would recommend to all the listeners that they get on the Internet. There are some very good sites out where you can become well-informed. One of them is called CO2Now.org. And um, it's like the daily edition of the carbon dioxide. <laughs> And on their homepage, they've got historical CO2, current CO2, future CO2. Mm. And um, uh, there is some, there, there's a lot of information out here uh, where uh, on the web. Of course, the thing about the web is that you don't really know what the provenance of the information is. You've really got to, uh, I think, be a discerning consumer of information and ideally look up about who's writing it, whether or not they have a vested interest one way or the other. You know, that mm -hmm. comment cuts both ways. There mm -hmm. are people who want to push the climate change agenda, just like there are people who want to push the non-climate change agenda. Um, yes, I, yes. I, I think, um, and what I'll do is when I'm, when I'm 
uh, reading what's out there on the internet. I'll, I'll read a bit about the author and try and understand uh, what motivated them to, to put this information out there and to see if I can fact check and verify some of it. Um, that was co2now.org is the website that Grant was referring to. We have a caller, Helen from California. She's a great caller. <laughs> so uh, can we take this call now? My question to you, Dr. Dean, is uh, I heard recently somebody say that there was either a documentary or, or that they read an article, and I think you might have alluded to one of the recommendations uh, earlier in the show, but like one of the recommendations was to paint every building in the world white or something and that that would reflect enough light to keep climate change from happening. Or And, you know, a lot of these simplistic, although not perhaps so easy to do things, um, are floating around. Is there validity to them? And if there is, is the reason that they're not being done that people still don't believe it's going to happen? Oh, great. Well, that's a great question. And it sort of gets back to what can we do about it all. Um, so there are, if, I end, if I'm listening carefully, there are two parts to your question. One of them is if we did something like, for example, painted all the buildings in the world white, would that, would that help um, keep the temperature down? And the second part is are people not doing that because they, they simply don't believe in climate change? Well, in answer to the first part, um, the, the amount of light that gets reflected back into space um, from the, the surface of the Earth is important um, and does impact uh, temperature. I don't know anything about this particular claim that if we painted all the houses white that it would, it would be enough. If I was going to make a guess, I would suspect that it, it might not. And one has to be very careful, too, because you'd have to look at how much carbon dioxide it would take to make all that paint and yeah. put all that paint on all those buildings. And all the toxicity of that paint that gets outgassed. And the toxicity outgassed. of the paint. Mm -hmm. um, and and I, I think uh, propositions like that um, are, are interesting, but it's like the geoengineering that we were talking about earlier, that the ultimate fix is to change the way we use energy. And anything else is a bit like um, a Band-Aid. Um, it's a prophylactic. It, it, it may help for the moment, but until we curb our desire to use energy or find new ways to generate that energy, we're simply uh, covering up the problem to some extent or maybe doing things that help in the short term. But in the, in the long term, um, ultimately prove uh, fruitless uh, because we continue to burn oil and, and coal. Um, as to the second part, um, why don't people do these things? And that's a, that's a great question. I, I don't know. I, I notice with my own behavior, um, sometimes I feel very bad because I drive a car and I fly in planes, and planes in particular have a huge carbon footprint, and I feel very guilty about that. Um, but I do it. <laughs> yes. So changing behavior is so difficult. Yes. You know? And, we, yes. I, I don't mean to interrupt you, but we are going to have to be uh, going to commercial break in a moment. And I'd like to, when we come back, for you to actually pick up on the question of what we can do. And also, 
in relation to that, uh, we haven't talked about the international use of energy. You were talking earlier, Grant, about the impact on other nations of global warming being even harder for them to manage than for us in the United States. But also, I, you know, we used to think of ourselves as the main culprit, but now there's a whole world full of culprits. And when you're talking about changing the way we use energy, what's the chance that that's going to happen in the world we're in? And another question that immediately comes to mind is, can we develop new technologies fast enough to outpace the, our destructiveness? So uh, when we come back from break, uh, I'd like to continue this conversation, and I'll give you a minute to think about that. So right. let's hear from our sponsor first. Thank you. And thank you, Helen. is the 7th Wave Channel on the Voice America Network. Bring Beth into your world in person or via the Internet. Learn how by visiting her website, bethgreen.org. At the website, sign up for her newsletter to keep abreast of her latest activities, blogs, videos, and more. Just for signing up, you'll receive a free PDF copy of Living with Reality, her 688-page volume that helps us understand ourselves in relatable terms, as well as offers a proven program to heal and co-create a better world. But there's more. Learn about Beth's four other books, both fiction and nonfiction. Check out her gorgeous music, which is heartfelt and mystical. Become acquainted with Beth and James's programs for healing and training, and discover their community, the Stream Center for the New Spirituality, which welcomes you wherever you are in the world. All this and more can be found at Beth's website, www.bethgreen.org. Again, that's bethgreen.org. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Be extraordinary. Be the change. You're tuned in to Inside Out with Beth Green and co-host James Maynard. To reach us on the show, please call 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. If you'd rather send us an email, the address is beth at bethgreen.org. Now, back to Inside Out. Welcome back to this very exciting program, Inside Out, about... Global warming. Ask a real climate scientist. So I just bombarded uh, Grant with a whole bunch of questions. If you're just tuning in, by the way, uh, we're talking to Dr. Grant Dean, who is the head of the hydraulics lab at UCSD and a climate scientist and a, a guy that you can talk to. So, <laughs> so the questions that I was bombarding you with is, you know, uh, he was uh, Grant was talking about how we really need to change our addiction to energy. That's the only thing that's really going to uh, really ultimately uh, reverse global warming. And, uh, you know, what I 
brought up the issue of the international aspect of the utilization of energy and how much control any of us really has over that. And um, is it really about not using energy or is it about creating technologies that uh, will allow us to be the idiot humans that we are? I didn't say that, by the way. Uh, (laughs) And still survive. So, Grant, would you like to take that on? Sure. (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, energy use is one of those interesting numbers that's a little bit hard to to define, or there are different ways of defining it. For example, you could look at the uh, annual tons of carbon emitted per person in a country, but then because countries' populations are different, you could look at the total emissions of that country. And it used to be that the United States had, for example, the greatest annual tons of carbon emitted per person and was the greatest emitter as a nation of, of carbon dioxide, of fossil fuels. But, but um, although we still hold the title of the world's greatest annual tons of carbon emitted per person, uh, China has overtaken us on the largest gross uh, emitter of of carbon dioxide. So, you know, I, I think even if every person in the United States suddenly decided, you know, I'm going to do everything I can to reduce my carbon footprint, you would still need to be concerned about what people in other countries are doing. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. India, Indonesia, China, and, and so on, countries with, with a very large population base. And then one also needs to worry about, in, in India, for example, there are a lot of people who emit carbon because they're, they're burning wood and mm-hmm. they're burning animal fuel to keep themselves going, to cook their food, to, mm-hmm. to um, maintain, you know, and, and it's certainly not an extravagant lifestyle. And how can we go to those people and say, you know, stop, stop burning right. the wood, you right. know, because that's, in a right. way, we're they wor- have fewer choices than we do. Right. We're worrying about electric cars, and they're <laughs> burning wood to, uh, uh, to heat themselves or to cook their food. Is, I mean, when you think about it from that perspective, it becomes an even maybe more daunting uh, prospect of how many levels of development exist coexist in the world today. By the way, we have another question from, uh, we got an email from Irene who Mm -hmm. said, what research today has the most promise for reducing greenhouse gases? I think that technologies that, uh, technologies, let me put it this way, this may sound a little bit negative, but let me put it this way. Technologies that enable us to keep our energy addiction without releasing new fossil fuels hold a great deal of promise because mm-hmm. that way we don't need to give up as much the things that we don't want to give up. So, this, and this is something very important. Every time we take oil out of the ground or coal out of the ground, we're releasing back into the earth carbon atoms that were sequestered uh, hundreds of millions of years ago, a long time ago by great um, plankton blooms and forests that the earth that was alive at that time 
uh, encapsulated this this carbon in, in the ground. But but every time we uh, make a biofuel out of carbon that's already here, we're just reusing what we already have without releasing new material into the into the atmosphere. But again, we need to be very careful because if if the use of these fuels um, also uses a lot of fossil fuel in order in order to do it. We're just going around in circles. We're not we're not getting ahead. Um, but I think those technologies, for example, I think there's a lot of potential with uh, bioalgae. These are tiny little organisms that grow in the ocean that uh, researchers here at Scripps and other institutions are looking at to harvest uh, the oils from these plants that grow in the sea to power our cars, to power our power plants, um, to keep our, our, um, our society running. I, think I love that. Yes, yes. <laughs> but I think, you know, also, of course, you haven't mentioned the obvious one, probably because it's so obvious, uh, at least to us in California, is it's the solar power is so clean and so available. Yes, and, and I, think, I think solar power has a role to play, too. Solar yes. power is also important. Um, but if you really start digging in to where your carbon footprint comes from, yes. a lot of it comes from driving cars, flying planes, and um, services that involve a lot of trucking. If you buy goods and services that have, have come from a long way, like food that's being flown in or, mm-hmm. or comes across the country, that is something that I try and do myself. I try and buy locally. I'll go to the, mm-hmm. my wife and I will go to the farmer's market and we'll buy produce there or I'll go to a store. I, I'm a New Zealander. I used to love to buy New Zealand apples and then I suddenly realized, wait a minute, those apples should stay in New Zealand <laughs> and mm-hmm. I'll buy Californian apples. <laughs> you know, that's such, a, that's such a great point anyway, is this the move to locally produced uh, foods and vegetables that don't need either to be engineered as much either for their, because they don't need to be sitting around for weeks and still look like they're fresh. Yes, yes so it's a whole absolutely. I mean what we're really talking about is a whole shift in the way we look at everything and all of our resources, our food and uh, the way we're using fuel. I'm, I have a feeling that uh, somebody has a question for the guru. Uh, Grant or James, do either of you have something to ask the guru on this topic? I have a question for the guru. Yes. Um, can technology really get us out of this fix? Or is that just more human arrogance to believe that? Is the answer really we have to accept that we need to change? Technology had better get us out of this fix because it is more likely to develop the technology than it is to develop the consciousness. The human beings, the human race has been trying to develop consciousness for so many thousands of years. So it is very difficult. I would say that human beings are better at technology than they are at consciousness, and I'm very sad to say this, but it's just the truth. And it also, you see, allows people who are in so many different uh, societies, as you have mentioned, because, of course, I'm from uh, the Indian Peninsula myself, is to... um, allow people to develop because it is not enough for us to sit here in this country and say we should not do this and we should do that when we already have so much. And it is very much more difficult and painful for people who already have nothing to be said to that uh, you must learn how to live without. So 
I, of course, I totally uh, want to see a shift in consciousness, but I am hoping that uh, you guys do something with your technology. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I really appreciate that. Um, so no pressure. <laughs> <laughs> well, th- th- I mean... I think that's an interesting point. I mean, we can't say that the guru is absolutely right about everything, but if that were the case, and if that is the case, then for people like me who run around every day trying to change human consciousness, I should probably get more involved in, not that I have anything to contribute. (laughs) Is there any to, uh, you know, get us involved in, you know, how can we support technology? And, uh, you know, I can really appreciate what the guru is saying. Uh, and uh, because, uh, you know, I'm a counselor, I'm a spiritual teacher, and I have really literally been trying to work on shifting human consciousness my whole life. And I do see changes, but they're very small. And the changes that take place are very often more caused by a necessity than they are by just people getting together and saying, you know, it is common sense for us to be thinking about community. Uh, we're good people, you know, if... Jesus was talking about love a long time ago, and I haven't noticed that it has really taken over the world. So the Buddha, I mean, we've had spiritual teaching for a long time, but the necessity to change, and I, one of the contributions I feel that you are making uh, to this discussion, Grant, is that um, you're helping people to understand what the realities are so that we don't have to be super conscious we just have to be practical, aware, and not have our heads in the sand to start making a thrust towards new technology, that we're have, not only relying uh, on our consciences. I have a question on a practical level. Uh, this will have to be very quick because sure. our time, believe it or not, is almost up. And um, if, would you like to be the last person to ask Grant a question? I think so, because the question is, uh, what can each of us do? And the question is, uh, what's the ideal kind of carbon footprint for each of us uh, as a consumer? And what can we do to reduce our carbon uh, footprint to the optimal level? There are, in answer to what is the optimal carbon footprint, I I think that varies so enormously from one person to the next. And I think it would be wrong of me to say, well, you know, somebody should have such and such a footprint. But there are, on the Internet, there are... uh, amazing tools for analyzing your carbon footprint with great suggestions about things that you can do to reduce them using public transportation, buying services and produce locally, thinking about using airplane trips or not, buying electricity from producers that use uh, uh, green production methods and so on. Um, and those tools are they 're a lot of fun actually. You get on, and the, the designers of these websites have gone to a lot of trouble to make them interactive, playful, and uh, fun to use and I, I think in terms of what can every single one of us do to help, the one answer I have is get involved, read about it, believe that changes are happening, but we don't need to be afraid of them. We need to deal with them. Mm -hmm. Uh, Talk to people about it. Get in touch with your local congresswoman, your congressman. Find out what they think about climate change and what are they doing Mm. about the changes that are going to come down over the next 20, 30 years. 
political forces are very, very powerful. Um, turn it into a talking point, a conversation point. Become informed. Get involved in discussion. If you don't believe it's happening, good. Talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> we have. I, let me throw in a very, very quick question from another caller. Uh, what about feedlots for cattle and hogs? I've heard that these are huge offenders. Is that true? If we gave up eating meat, would we help the problem? Can we have a yes or no? Yes. 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 Okay, well, I'm sure she would be happy to hear that. Grant, I have loved having you on the show. I would really like to have you back at some time because we have just scratched the surface. Beth, thank you so much for having me. I would, I would love to, to, uh, to come again. That would be great. Great, great. So now, James, would you like to tell us about what's coming up next week? Yes. Our next edition of Inside Out will be How Are We Stuck in Gender Roles in Our Heads, If Not in Our Lives? In our world, people have either chosen or been forced to abandon long-held roles along gender lines. While traditional roles are crumbling on the outside, aren't they still clinging to us on the inside? Uh, I'm one of those people, too, who's in a reversal of gender roles, and so I'm very anxious to hear uh, the conversation next week. Uh, So join us next week as Beth interviews Lynn Helix and Todd Benton, two folks who have lived or are living role reversals in their homes. How does it feel? What inner conflicts still haunt them? And what about you? Where do you still long to break free from a male or female identity or role? So join us next week and call in or email your questions. Wonderful. Thank you so much. I'm going to come. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I would also like to thank the guru. Guru, how did you feel about today's show? Well, actually, I really enjoyed myself and I would like to come back. Well, that's good because we were thinking about having – well, next week when we have the Reversal of Roles show, we're going to have Meta Mazurka co-hosting, and we're thinking about having an Ask the Guru show on uh, October 15th. So, Guru, would you be willing to come? Of course. So, there we have it. Uh, Lots of exciting things ahead. Again, thank you so much for listening in, and thanks, Grant Dean, for being with us, and we hope to have you back. So, be well, everyone, and God bless. Thank you for making us a part of your week. Listen for the next edition of Inside Out with Beth Green and James Maynard next Tuesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Have a great week.